0: up your books, you Bad Apples. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Bad Apple Book Club. Lucas Nord here. And I'm Cole Lang. And Cole, buddy. How's it going today? Uh, doing well. Doing well
1: over here across the pond. You know, lockdown. Um, it got lifted for about a week. Um, but we're going to go back into lockdown. And... Uh, yeah, so it's nothing, nothing but good times over here. Yep.
0: Um, How about you? Oh, I'm doing just fine, man. I'm excited to dig into our... I don't know if gothic horror is this specific phrase, because I guess I don't even know what gothic means when you strip the phrase down to its bare bones, but I'm very excited to cover our second... Um, tale in at least a similar vein because for anyone at home listening, you know, thanks obviously, uh, we just got done with a three-part series on Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, my favorite book I've ever read up to this point, and um, we're going to be covering something, like I said, in a very similar vein today if you wanted to tell the people about it.
1: Uh, yeah i mean if you if you clicked that play button you probably saw that we're covering dr jekyll and mr hyde yeah we're gonna continue this i would say it's a gothic horror mystery thriller um so it's pretty interesting in that regard it's uh written in the point of view of this lawyer and so it's like it's kind of hard it's kind of hard to read um because you are reading it as a that they say it he's the most boring man alive and
0: Uh imagine
1: the most boring man alive uh uh writes uh you know uh, like this mystery case um in the 18th century so yeah it's uh it's it's a little
0: bit harder to read but it's good Uh, i'm enjoying it I'm glad to hear it. That's actually something that I noticed right away. Um, We've, of course, covered Crime and Punishment from, I think that one came out in the 1860s. Um, Frankenstein, I suppose the edition we both read came out in 1831. But I have never had so much trouble. And it's not even too bad, but this story is definitely an outlier with being more difficult to read naturally compared to like A Clockwork Orange where we obviously did a three-parter on that and if you haven't listened to him, you might want to go do that, but um, where that whole book is almost written where uh, Anthony Burgess intended for the reader to literally have to pretty much learn an entirely new language to understand the book um this one's honestly just a lot tougher to digest i would say than anything else we've covered up to this point and anything i've ever read up to this point too i would say
1: yeah it it definitely helped me a lot when uh i was writing that line like i was like oh i, I can't believe i missed this but then you know it's just yeah it, it is a difficult uh read it's very heavy like a lot of the uh use of words and everything of course there's like big words from the 18th century and one of them being countenance which is used so many times in gothic
0: literature (laughs) Um, 200 times through frankenstein 200 and i i honestly don't know probably and i feel like it was literally in the first sentence of this book, I didn't even notice it until um, we had discussed Frankenstein, I think before we even recorded the first episode. But I remember you mentioning how often they said the word countenance in that book. And then I didn't notice it until then. And then it was all I noticed.
1: (laughs) No, so I, I was just so curious, like the use of the word countenance, because it's basically the way your facial expression is or like how you carry yourself and that's what the word means and uh so I googled like because google tracks all the you know the times a word appears like in a certain time set and yeah of course in the 18th century it was just used all the time but now it's used
0: not that often I think that I can safely say that I never even heard the word before picking up Frankenstein yeah
1: same but yeah I'm ready to uh dive into this novel if uh, if you're ready to go on this little gothic mystery thriller I've
0: never been more ready for anything in my entire life
1: great well we'll, we'll kick it off with the uh story of the author which is actually a pretty interesting story as most uh authors backgrounds are so, yeah, Robert Louis Stevenson was born in Edinburgh, Scotland, in 1850 to a father who was a lighthouse engineer. He, obviously, he had a mother as well who uh, uh, passed down the genes of some pretty bad lungs. Um, it's thought to be a bronchiectasis, ectasis, I think. Um, but basically it is a, um, condition where the airways in your lungs widen way more than they should be. And it just allows mucus to like pour into your lungs and it makes breathing very difficult. Wow. Yep. So he dealt with that, uh, for most of his life, like he throughout his whole life, he would, uh, definitely need some good health care. Um, and so for most of his early life, he had to stay indoors and in warm climates because if he was in a cold, like, uh, closed space climate, um, his health would just deteriorate. And so during this time, like he would write a lot and he would write like, uh, basically autobiographies. A lot of it being about his childhood, since his childhood was so different and maybe so a little secluded. And his dad was like, I, I don't approve of this. Um, how about you write about something good, like religion? <laughs> um, so You
0: really, you really got to tamp down your kid's interests, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's great that you like writing, but write about what I want to <laughs> <Yeah>. read.
1: <laughs> yeah, which I'm glad. You know, my parents... My dad would all about be all about like me starting a financial podcast, but he's completely supportive <laughs> of me doing a literature podcast. So.
0: <laughs> but he he absolutely
1: hates books. <laughs> uh, only only ones written by the Dave Ramsey. Ah, uh, uh. yeah, and, and so basically, he comes from this really religious background. His parents are and um to kind of appease his dad he published his first work at the age of 16 and his dad obviously didn't publish any of his other works but since this one was about uh their own religion he decided to actually print this off um when he Mm -hmm. was just 16 so yeah yeah
0: this okay well yeah this one's all right
1: yeah (laughs) Yeah, um, and it was like uh, um, so. This this work was called the Pentland Rising, which is an account of like this actual religious rebellion that happened. Like like he published this on the two hundred year mark of this historic account. Uh, They get they signed like some type of treaty in this uh, book that he wrote, and I actually like I was looking at the pictures on Wikipedia, and I was like, oh. I actually went there like to the cemetery and that it was so cool because the at the cemetery, Ooh. grave robbing was so common back in the eighteen hundreds, they had these like cages built on top of some of the grave sites so people couldn't break into them.
0: Um is it too early for a bad apple callback? Grave robbing. Grave I, mean, <laughs> I mean easy we, <laughs> easy money, right? Yeah,
1: we just we just covered that subject, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Edinburgh, it's just a fun city. Very cool city. Awesome. Um, Robert, he attended the University of Edinburgh to pick up the family trade of building lighthouses, you know. But stay away from the seagulls.
0: (sighs) Oh, man. I was just reminiscing about that movie. We're talking about Robert Eggers' The Lighthouse from 2019 that's an amazing movie
1: oh yeah it's a fun one definitely one of the weirdest movies i've seen but really really fun
0: that very end scene i'm not gonna spoil anything but that very end scene is gonna be ingrained into my memory for the rest of my life
1: oh yeah yep so yeah um robert he's he's kind of a free spirit and he doesn't really want to pick up this engineering career path because it's just, it's just too mainstream. And he was more interested in, in the, uh, aspect of college where you find yourself, you know, um, just really enjoying the experience of college than learning anything. Um, so like he, he was extremely skinny because of his, uh, health problems. And he wore like this velvet coat, which wasn't really common at the time. And he wore uh, like this big hat to go along with it. And so he's visiting brothels around town and he uh, smoked hashish. So in college, like, uh, I feel like this would have been uncommon for the time. But these days, you know, I feel like religion isn't really a big part of the American youth anymore. Uh, Robert, he he decided to go against his parents' will, and he became atheist, which obviously disappointed his parents. In college, he got involved with some famous writers at the time in Edinburgh, and one of them was a poet with a wooden leg uh, who would inspire Long John Silver in Stevenson's Treasure
0: Island. So... Um, gonna be completely honest here I didn't even know Long John Silver was a character from a book
1: yep well Long John Silver he well he he's he's obviously a pirate in Treasure Island Treasure Island is often used as the like modern it's basically how we see pirates today. Like, we wouldn't have Pirates of the Caribbean without Treasure Island. Um, it, it's basically creating those modern stereotypes with the wooden leg, the eye patch, a parrot on the shoulder. I think Long John Silver had that. Um. um so.
0: Great fish sticks too.
1: Yeah, I was just gonna say this book actually inspired the restaurant chain um, as well. <laughs> that is often. Combined with your A and W, um, so ah. yeah, it, it's so nice to see the world. The world of Americana really uh, <laughs> intersect with the pirate world. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. Only in America. Yep. Yep. Um. <laughs> um so eventually, uh, he meets this lady who uh and her name is fanny von de grift osborne <laughs> uh, oh, fanny Fanny, yep she uh they, they meet in paris somehow they're at like this art conference or something and she's 11 years older than him so he's a you know, he's a bit of a cougar chaser
0: oh yeah
1: um and they get along but after a year fanny's like you know what <laughs> i got a little secret i actually have a husband back in california <laughs>
0: Ooh, <laughs> so, scandalous
1: yeah uh so um they both go back to their home uh country stevenson going back to scotland and fanny going back to america and stevenson continues to write her love letters and you know, he's like, all right, you know, I might be very frail and there's little to no um, health care support in America, but I'm going to make the dang trip.
0: <laughs> hey, my man. Hey, if there's a will, there's a way. Yep. Um, I may have 15 pounds of mucus coating my esophagus, <laughs> but by God, love, I'm making the trip.
1: Yep. Love is worth it. Uh, uh, yep. And yeah. Uh, this is when you could spend a night at the hospital for only a nickel a night so that's an <laughs> <But nice. laughs> a, a,
0: a nickel also bought you groceries for three months <laughs>
1: yeah uh, so yeah like all of his friends and family were like dude Like, you can barely survive in your own, like, uh, house. (laughs) Like, why are you going to America? (laughs) Um, So, but he does it anyways. And he crosses the country um, by train. And, and you know, he almost dies twice because of his feeble health. And, like, the second time he uh, is in California, that's where like he rests up for a f- few weeks yeah but uh, luckily he defeats death twice and uh, he gets married to the fanny <laughs> because fanny divorced her previous husband Ooh, so ouch yeah that one's got to hurt yep especially back in that day very controversial damn yep and so they return to Scotland and he writes Tre- Treasure Island which becomes a huge success. And a few years later he's ha- he's you know he's going to sleep he's he's having a good time but then all of a sudden he has this nightmare and it's just like Mary Shelley which is so cool. And but unfortunately his wife wakes him up because of his screaming and, and like he's having this nightmare and he's like and, and he gets woken up and then she's he's like, Why did you wake me? I was dreaming a fine bogey tale and that's what he actually says.
0: I was gonna say too I didn't get to the end of the story yeah, Now I'm gonna have to make it up. Yep.
1: <laughs> yep, so um this nightmare uh, would turn out to be the inspiration for Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Uh, the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Um, yeah, so like he wakes up from the nightmare and he instantly starts writing. I think he writes the whole thing over like three days. Yeah, cool. the, the rough draft. And uh, over six weeks, he revises it and uh, he, he sells it as a penny dreadful, which is... Uh, <sighs> You know, not the coolest
0: phrase of all time.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is fun. Um, not not the TV show, but it, it's kind of like uh, we've mentioned, like Pulp Fiction's being these cheap um, horror books, or not horror books, but just cheap like adventure stories, maybe, and uh, sold on very cheap paper. Uh, Penny Dreadfuls are kind of the same thing. I think they're more popular in Britain, but they did make their way to the states. Uh, but yeah, they're just kind of these like, uh, you know, horror stories that you buy for one penny.
0: Um, when you mentioned the Pulp Fiction there, well, I suppose right when you mentioned the Penny Dreadful, I immediately got to thinking of Pulp Fiction. And do you remember which specific episode we had, um, discussed Pulp Fiction? Seems like a lifetime ago yeah. now.
1: Yeah, that was called Kahulu. Who could forget it? Very nice. Very nice. Yep. Yeah, like, the the book becomes a huge success, um, and he eventually moves to Samoa in the Pacific Islands because um, he needs, like, this warm climate for his declining health, and he resides there until his death in 1894 at the age of 44.
0: So not very old.
1: Not very old, but for the time, I'd say this is probably median age. Like it, it's not like oh my gosh, she passed at forty four. Like that's crazy. I feel like that would be pretty
0: common. And um, he still left a lasting impression.
1: Yep. Yeah, for sure. Um, like, and it's actually really interesting because the natives of Samoa refer to him as Tusitala. Uh, which means Teller of Tales in Samoan. Ooh. And uh, I guess the locals like really loved him because they cleared out like this big path of trees and carried him uh, to be buried at, at the top of this big hill uh, or this mountain called uh, Mount Veya. So, yeah, he uh, made a good impression on the locals, which is always good. You know? Awesome. Yeah, and... So it's kind of interesting because at first, Stevenson, um, I, I think for up until maybe the mid 1900s, he was uh, kind of referred to as um, like not a great writer. But it seems like in the past 50 to 80 years ago, he he's really started to become like a a renowned writer but at first he was just kind of seen as like uh not that great but i think it's pretty good so we'll uh we'll begin this tale so the book introduced introduces us to mr utterson and like we said we're gonna hear the word countenance a lot but the very first sentence of this book uh opens up uh, describing utterson who's a lawyer, as a man of, quote, rugged countenance that was never lighted by a smile. And he was lean, long, dusty, dreary, and yet somehow lovable.
0: I hope to be described in the same exact words one day.
1: Yeah, especially the dusty part.
0: I was just going to say.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, so, yeah, he's like this rough man, but everyone loves him like he's he's just very reserved, very quiet, keeps to himself. He's a man of the Victorian era, which was all about um how you perceive yourself and he is obviously a very proud person. But at the same time, he's just uh, kind of boring, <laughs> but everyone just loves <laughs> to talk to him. Um especially after this tale. So um, like like I said, he's he keeps to himself. He likes to drink gin alone, and uh, one thing that I thought was very interesting is that uh, he loves the theater, but he hasn't stepped into one for over twenty years. <laughs> so
0: now it might just be because that I I haven't finished the story up to this point, but um, that part also stood out to me very specifically as a bit of an odd detail
1: yeah i don't know i i think um it shows that he has these hobbies but maybe he's just um so busy with his work that uh <laughs> you, you know he just can't keep up with it
0: maybe he's <laughs> um just been re-watching the office on netflix for you know the last 20 years
1: yeah Yep, or in this case it would be Phantom of the Opera. He's a big phantom <laughs> of the opera fan. Yep. Anyway, so I, I really don't know. I think uh, uh, it's just kind of an interesting detail. Um, and he helps out his friends, even the ones that have hit rock bottom. like he he's not one to judge people on their appearance for the most part, especially his friends. And he likes to take weekly walks around London with his good friend, who is also a distant relative. And this is Mr. Ennsfeld. During their walks, um, they're extremely boring. And (laughs) like passerbys, uh, people who pass them by, they say it's completely normal for them to like not say anything, but just completely enjoy their like sunday stroll
0: yeah just having the other person's presence yeah you know what i mean it makes me think of um makes me think of that gym class hero song cupid's chokehold we could be on the phone for three hours not saying one word <laughs> there we
1: go such a <laughs> such a good uh, take on uh breakfast in america by Supertramp. you know that's that's the original song Oh, who could forget it? Oh yeah, <laughs> very good, very good. They take their walks, and it's just the highlight of their week. And one day, they're walking in this pretty well-off neighborhood, but there's this section that's just kind of, just kind of something's off about it. Um, kind of dark and scary. And they come across this rugged building, and Enfield, he uh, or Enfield, he points out the door. Uh, and he he's like now this building <laughs> i got i got a story for you buddy <laughs> <laughs> oh man
0: this building right here man
1: <laughs> now i know i haven't said anything for years but <laughs> th- mm-hmm. this story is going to blow you off your feet <laughs> <laughs> so um he goes on to talk about this story and one night Mr. Enfield, he's just walking around and it's like 3 a.m. And the neighborhood is just lit by lamps. You know, it's um, I think there's just something so eerie about, you know, shadows like jumping because of the flicker of a lamplight. And uh, it's setting up this like scary, scary uh, environment. And I was
0: just going to say, too, let us not forget that. um, Yeah. No natural fluorescent streetlights. Everything being lit by a lamp makes me think of reading of, like, the Jack the Ripper story. How it's literally pitch black except for when you're right near the lamplight.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it is interesting to kind of... I-, I think that's just something that's, like, neat about, like, gothic horror and thrillers, too, is that there? there's just that certain uh environment and vibe about it. It's very yep. very can't,
0: creepy. Can't really be replicated these days because of well not that, you know, a lamp isn't artificial light, but yeah, things were just naturally darker.
1: These millennials are ruining the lamp industry. It's another thing we just completely killed, I guess.
0: An unfortunate
1: <sighs> fact of life. Yep. Um mm-hmm. so yeah, he's just taking his walk one of the figures that he sees because there's two figures that he's seen and one of them is like this small girl who's about 10 years old and the other is just this small man and they're like on track to collide and this small man there's like nothing to stop him (laughs) and uh yeah, so this small man, he's like very he's on a mission and they run into each other and the ma the man knocks over the girl and he just starts stomping on her as if she wasn't there. Like he just starts like jumping up and down on her like uh something out of I don't know, like a horror movie. I <laughs> like it's just yeah. so weird. Um and Enfield, he's like, Whoa, whoa, whoa that girl is not a trampoline. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, he's like, you're right. Uh, oopsies. And he goes on his way. <laughs> but, you know what? That one's on me.
0: Yeah. Um, this definitely, I uh, people are always talking about how they might have trouble reading just because they need to reread the same thing over and over again. I'll usually just charge through the page, and, you know, even if you don't completely pick up everything that was said, there's usually some context clues, but I went through this part, and I was like, okay, so he literally just walked over this child, huh? That's what I'm supposed to gather from (laughs) this? Like, I don't think I read this, Like like I said up top, it's written very interestingly, but I was like, I'm pretty sure this dude just walked over this child.
1: Yeah, it's like sure enough. Yeah, it's like a like a a professional linebacker um, just completely taking out this small child who doesn't even see it coming. um and yeah it's just it it is shocking like especially for this time it's just like geez this is still pretty brutal um in today's world and so like yeah Mr. Enfield he's there he's like hey 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 stop doing that and he apprehends the man and like this huge crowd forms around this small guy He says, quote, I had taken a loathing to the gentleman at first sight. So there's just something about this guy that whenever somebody sees him, they do not like. Um, It just kind of sends shivers down their bones.
0: And yeah, well, obviously not to give too much of the story away, but um, that's something that we're going to come back to with this specific character is. Well, one of the things that I really enjoy about it is, yeah, everyone says they can't quite place it, but something about this guy is just unnatural. Or, yeah, like you just said, it kind of sends a shiver down your spine, but they cannot place why.
1: No, they just can't put their finger on it. Hmm. Yep. Mm. (laughs) Hmm. And so the crowd is obviously very angry. And this small man, he obviously sees no escape from this. So he kind of like turns the switch and he becomes very calm and he's like, well, I can settle this. I'll just pay the family of the child. How does that sound? And the whole crowd's like, okay, that's all right. We won't take you to the police. You can, that's all right.
0: I shall pay a gold coin for every visible footprint on the child's face.
1: <laughs> every splintered bone will be one Ooh. one pound. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so uh, what this man does, he goes to the aforementioned door that was pointed out by Mr. Enfield. And he comes out with a check that is signed by a well-known, respected man. We don't know who this man is yet, but... Enfield, he believes it's forged because he's like, there's no way this man of high class did this for this lowly assailant. You know, he's the lowest of the low.
0: This lowly man of such strange countenance.
1: (laughs) A very ugly countenance. uh, Mm -hmm. Just terrifying countenance, really. Uh, Now,
0: who do you think... Um, if we're comparing countenances who do you think's got a worse countenance between this guy and Frankenstein's monster
1: you know I'm about what's in the inside and the monster you judge yep the monster he's got a good heart so he makes he he's a beautiful person this guy he's trampling people <laughs> he's not good
0: plus oh yeah plus the monster probably well I mean I guess when I picture it not that we're talking about Frankenstein anymore, but he probably just completely cut off someone's head and put it on top. So it was probably just a regular head stitched onto the body, maybe.
1: Who knows? Yeah, very handsome head. Mm-hmm. This guy, this guy, he's not—he's <laughs> pretty ugly. <laughs> uh, yeah, so like everyone thinks it's forged. This, uh, this check. That this man brought out to please the family. And so Enfield's like, "Um, I'm going to bring it to the teller the next day and make sure that it's genuine. You know, that's how you verified back in the day. You had a bank teller who could, you know, void your check if he didn't believe it was right. And Enfield, he believes this little man is somehow blackmailing this prestigious man who wrote the check and Enfield he reveals that the name of the monstrous man is Mr Hyde and he says about him quote i never saw a man i so disliked and yet i scarcely know why unquote so
0: yeah he's just there's something that is not right about him naturally
1: yep so spooky well yeah we'll we'll hear this a lot where there's just yeah we don't like this man <laughs> um and so mr utterson he's listening to this story and he's like he's a man of the victorian era and in the victorian era you know you, you keep it classy you, you don't gossip because that's that's something lowly people do and he says you know what uh ah, this story it's too much let's just continue our walk in silence like how we usually do.
0: Honestly, pretty respectful.
1: Yeah, Mr. Utterson, he's, you know, he might be a boring, methodical man, but he is a very respectable uh, person, and we'll, we'll see that throughout the story.
0: Very nice.
1: Yep. So they part ways, and at home, Utterson, he reads over the will he created for a man named Dr. Jekyll. Now, um, it's, it's interesting because in this will, it states that if he is to die or disappear, kind of weird, not only die, but disappear, all of his belongings shall be given to Mr. Hyde, like his property, his income, everything should be given to this man that is named Mr. Hyde, who just trampled a 10 year old girl. Um. So, uh, it's just it, what is going on here? Uh, we just don't know. Nope. Yep. So he goes to visit the man, uh, or a man named Doctor Lanyon, who he's a very close friend of Jekyll's, but had a recent falling out with him because Jekyll. You know he's kind of he's kind of like victor uh he's getting into some very weird sciences and what mr lanyon calls this he calls it quote unscientific balderdash so ah <laughs> pretty much yeah.
0: What could be considered probably the worst cuss word of all time back in the day. Yeah, but I... C- uh, <sighs> don't actually know.
1: I cannot tell you how many friends I had to cut off because they got into so much on Scientific Balderdash. It is just mm. so many cut uh, friendships, really.
0: Utter utter poppycock. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> um. So Utterson... Uh, He's he starts to have nightmares and he envisions this faceless man who resembles the appearance of Mister Hyde and um, this faceless man is just like standing by Doctor Jekyll's bed and he commands him to rise and uh, Jekyll does this, kind of implying there's like a puppet and puppet master and. He also dreams like this dude just running over like a hundred children, <laughs> like kids mm. freaking. Uh, <laughs> you
0: walk over one child.
1: <laughs> yeah, give this man a break. You know, you get at least one uh child trample card in your life. Um, Come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm. A, I, you know, I there, there's a lot of save the children crap, but I'm more for trample the children here. Uh, <laughs> it's easier. Yeah. Um, and so Mr. Utterson, he is friends with this Dr. Jekyll. He's, you know, they're not the closest of friends right now, but he's like, I think he's going through something. Something's a bit off here. Can't tell what. So he decides he needs to confront this uh, this monster who is Mr. Hyde. So he decides to wait outside his door for, like,
0: uh, basically
1: 10-hour <laughs> shifts for a couple days. <laughs> and uh, he says about this, quote, If he be Mr. Hyde, I shall be Mr. Seek. <laughs> so. um,
0: yeah, what a funny thing to put in the actual story that sounds like something they would put in like a parody of it or something like that
1: i had to like take a second look at this because i didn't catch it on my first read through but then when i was like going through this writing the outline i was like dang robert really put this into the story
0: (laughs) and let me just take a second here too to mention that um those are two really cool names jekyll and hyde
1: yeah i mean iconic iconic but it also sounds really fun for sure yeah yeah one night mr utterson he's basically working the night shift waiting outside this door <laughs> he's just, he's pulling an 18-hour mm. shift uh and <laughs> it's really cold it's dark and it's just really creepy once again and he sees a small young man about to open the door to this strange building that uh, was pointed out earlier. And Utterson, he's like kind of hiding around a corner or something. And while he's (laughs) opening the door, he's just like, it taps on his shoulder. He's like, "Uh, excuse me, are you Mr. Hyde? (laughs) And um, the small man, he um, doesn't look up, but he confirms his name because Utterson is obviously looking down at him. Uh, And he's just like kind of trying to hide his appearance. And Utterson, he's like, all right, show me your face. And they stare at each other for a while. And uh, <laughs> Hyde, you know, he's this is his home. And he's like, uh, how, how do you know my name? And how do you know I live here again? And Utterson says, uh, we, we have some common friends. And to this, Hyde laughs hysterically and enters the building, slamming the door in his face. So a very interesting encounter here. And uh, Utterson, he's very disgusted by the man. He calls him like a troglodyte or something. Um, Yeah,
0: um, that's the specific phrase. It's like what people would probably picture a caveman as would also be considered a troglodyte. It's like um, kind of like a primitive shape, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, like it there's just something about him, like his mannerisms and it's almost like his mom didn't teach him how to handle his silverware when he was a young young lad. Um there's just and and his appearance too. Like there's just something that's very off about it. And he after this he's like, Alright, this dude it's creeping me out. I need to see Dr. Jekyll and see what this will is all about. So he goes over to um, Dr. Jekyll's house, which is very close. And he is ushered in by the butler. And Utterson realizes that the door that Mr. Hyde goes through, um, it actually leads to the laboratory slash, like, surgical theater that you... That you'd see in like the 1800s where, like, someone's performing an autopsy on a body, and you just or, have a bunch of medical students uh, sitting, or there. maybe
0: stitching random body parts together to you know bring life into a new form, maybe, or... yeah, that could be. Yep, um,
1: this was the theater of Victor Frankenstein, yep. yeah, he was
0: roommates, yeah, roommates with him
1: yep and they both uh just get into some weird stuff that's for sure yeah and yeah so he he notices that like yeah somehow uh mr hyde's place is connected to this residence and um he asks the butler about mr hyde and you know he says yeah mr hyde he has a key to the place and and Doctor Jekyll, he's just so silly. He says whatever Mister Hyde says, we gotta do. Uh, we gotta obey it. We we just gotta <sighs> go through with it, no matter. So we've trampled multiple children, and <laughs> 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 it's just a lot literally,
0: of fun. <laughs> literally every time we're out walking with Hyde, and he tells me not to, uh, you know, not to stray from the path. And walk over the child. I just gotta do it. (laughs) Jekyll's (laughs) orders.
1: It's uh, reverse psychology. I I don't know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm just the butler. (laughs) Super kooky. Yeah. Dr. Jekyll's just so silly. Um, Mm -hmm. So, Mr. Hyde, he mostly comes in and out of the laboratory. He never uses... The front entrance that Dr. Jekyll uses, which is obviously goes to this house that is much more beautiful and it's just more prestigious than the back part, which is Mr. Hyde's residence, which he uses to get into the laboratory. And that's where he comes in and out. He never uses the front door. Utterson, uh, he says that Dr. Jekyll got into, you know, a lot of mischief back in the day. So he's wondering, like, did he ever cross Mr. Hyde back in the day? And is, is this the reasoning for Mr. Hyde's blackmailing? Because Dr. Dr. Jekyll, he's a little bit, he was the wild one. You know, um, out of the Hangover crew, he was probably Zach Galifianakis. You know, just the wild card. Ah,
0: oh, man, hey. It is so funny when he's walking around with that baby. Uh <laughs> who could forget And when it he out? named
1: it Carlos, that was just,
0: uh. Oh my God! And when the one guy gets the face tattoo, that was just
1: crazy. Oh my. Ooh. Yeah, that was the first rated R movie I saw in
0: theaters. It's a good first rated R movie to see.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's a good it's a good film. Um, it might not, be. Yeah, maybe a bit overplayed, but oh well. Yeah, so th- that's that's what. Utterson is thinking right now is that Mr. Hyde is definitely blackmailing Dr. Jekyll here. And so a few, late, few weeks later, Utterson is at a dinner party that is hosted by Dr. Jekyll. Now there's a lot of people here. There's a lot of prestigious people. But uh, Utterson is so dedicated. Uh, he waits all night until everyone has left. And it's just him and Dr. Jekyll. Because he wants to talk about the will. Why is Mr. Hyde in this thing? What is going on? Uh, what's the connection here? And then Dr. Jekyll, you know, he's like, uh, you know, it's nothing. It's just the will. Just who cares? And, and he, he's staying pretty calm about it until Utterson mentions, you know, I've been getting to know your friend there, Mr. Hyde. He's quite the character. And to this... Super ugly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not a fan of his... Not a looker <laughs> like you there, mm-hmm. Dr. Jekyll. Um, and to this, uh, Dr. Jekyll, his face goes pale and his pupils dilate like his eyes go black. And he says, quote, I, I, I do not care to hear more. Uh, th- this is a matter I thought we had agreed to drop. And... He also mentions he can get rid of Hyde at any time he wants. And he makes Utterson promise he will go through with... Basically, like, you're going to go through the will, right? Um, because at this point, Utterson still hasn't finalized the will, I guess. He hasn't made the final touches. So a year, a whole year passes. And a murder scene has shaken the city. And... Uh, this man, he loves to target prostitutes. Um, he's just m- might be London's first serial killer. But but I actually had to look it up because Jack the Ripper happened two years after this novel was published. So, oh wow! Yep. Um, I, maybe there's like some connections I we can uh, research a bit later in the next episode. But I thought it was super interesting. Same city, kind of have like the. Like this crazy man just running around. Obviously, this murder, we might know who it is. And it happens, and there's this woman that's looking outside one night at like 3 a.m. And she sees this old man waking his way down the street, making his way downtown. And
0: There's no no kids out, is there?
1: There's no kids. Okay, uh, good. But unfortunately, there's a old man um there's an old man that's getting in the way of this small young man uh (laughs) and uh this man he's pretty grotesque and um so like when they're about to cross paths the old man is being courteous like a man of the victorian era and he bows he bows to this Uh, disgusting small man and the small man is like how dare you sir and he starts beating him with the cane with an ape like fury whoa (sighs) yep out of nowhere and he just starts trampling him until this old man is mangled and dead so he's we mentioned it earlier like there's just something very prehistoric about this man's tendencies and this man just goes full ape shit And he, uh, just like a gorilla, might attack um, a person or um, any type of monkey, really. They can get mean. And this is how this guy's acting.
0: And we're also learning that he does not discriminate based on age. He has, at this point, attacked people on both sides of the age spectrum. A small child and an old man this uh attack clearly being more severe but you know still not cool man
1: yeah not cool he's uh changing his preferences the children that children trampling was so last year um we're here to trample the seniors and take their uh life insurance this time around ah yeah so the, uh, the woman, she uh, recognizes him, uh, recognizes this small, grotesque man as Mr. Hyde. And, well, she's happened to run into him because uh, she came across him, like, once. And she's like, oh, I, I don't like him. Like, there's just something weird about him. And so the, the victim, he's carrying this letter. And it's addressed to Utters- Mr. Utterson because this old man is one of Mr. Utterson's clients. So, obviously, Mr. Utterson is called to the scene, and he identifies the cane that was uh, used to beat him to death. I I think it, like, snapped in two, and, like, one part of it is still at the scene, and he recognizes it because he gave it to Mr. Jekyll back in the day. But now, it's obviously Mr. Hyde who had it to beat this man, and... Uh, it's also going to be a big breaking news story because this guy was a member of parliament. So, uh, yep. a yeah, Very high figure. So Utterson, he's making his way back to Hyde's residence and he's just like, God, what is it about Mr. Hyde that Dr. Jekyll just really likes? Like, it's just so <laughs> weird. Um, th- th- there's some kind of connection that I just can't put my finger on, <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so he arrives in the evil-looking neighborhood, and uh, he knocks on Hyde's door, and this old evil-looking landlady opens the door, and she's like, "Hey, w- what are you doing here? Like, uh, what's going on?" And then they're like, "Well, we're investigating." Uh, one of your tenants and it's mr hyde she's like oh are you finally gonna lock him up i hate that man (laughs) like she's very excited that the police are here to uh investigate him but mr hyde he is not at home um and the lady says like you know i saw him last night but before that it's been about two months since i've seen this man like he has a very weird schedule You know, one day he could be working the night shift and then the next day he's working the swing shift. You know, um, very weird schedule. And so the police and Utterson start to search his rooms and the house has like a lot of empty rooms. But there's a few rooms that are filled and they are filled with like luxurious items. Like uh, he said, the finest wines and there's like these nice art works and all these silverware sets so they find his room which has like clothes thrown all over like it's it's like your average teenage room uh there's clothes thrown all over the floor well i mean my room still looks like this but you Mm -hmm. know my parents don't live here anymore so (laughs) 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 um but it's obvious that mr hyde was in a rush and so they start to look around and they find the murder weapon which is the cane and there's also a burned checkbook so they assume they can find him at the bank because just like um looking around his place it seems like he has like a greedy nature and like uh He's obviously connected to Dr. Jekyll's bank account and they think that's his motivation. They think that greed is his motivation right. and um, but they can't like find him at all and there's no signs of him since he has no family or friends. so because he he never turns up in the in, to the bank and yeah, there's just no trace of this dude. like he has no connection to anybody.
0: Just kind of appeared out of nowhere.
1: Yeah, Which is weird. How, how does he do that? I, I don't know. No, me neither. I, I really don't know. Maybe Dr. Jekyll knows. So that's why Mr. Utterson is going to go visit him. Um, so Utterson, he's visiting Jekyll and he's going to his lab, which like we said, is kind of like this grand theater for students. But now it's just kind of like this disgusting mess. And among the mess is Dr. Jekyll, and he's, look, he's not looking too hot. He's looking like death. Um, but he greets Mr. Utterson and saying that he heard the news, and he's like, yeah, you know what, child trampling, that was okay with me, but uh, a murder, ooh, I, I can't do that. So we, we cut ties, I'm done, I'm done with Mr. Hyde. Uh, but he, you know, he left me a note, and I want you to read it. And the note says that Jekyll, you know, it's from Mr. Hyde, but it's telling Jekyll that, you know, you don't have to worry about me because I have an escape plan. When Utterson asks Dr. Jekyll if it was Hyde who made up like the disappearance part of his will, because he says in his will that like if I were to die or disappear, very important, like all all my belongings go to Mr. Hyde. Like hearing this, um, Jekyll nearly faints. But he's like, "Yes, yes, he made he made that part of the will." Um, <laughs> I can't believe, yeah, he's played me. He's played me. Um, <laughs> and, and then uh, so he's like you know what this whole Mr. Hyde thing I've learned my lesson but I really gotta get going back to being sick I just you gotta get out of (laughs) here
0: I'm right in the middle of something (laughs) yeah Uh,
1: and so on the way out he asks the butler who delivered the letter and the butler says huh you know what we haven't gotten any mail recently like nothing's been coming in or out And it's weird, because uh, this letter, somehow, it had to come here somehow. And so the Utterson, he brings the letter to this handwriting expert. And a servant brings in, like, an invitation from Dr. Jekyll. And it's to this big dinner party. And so he's reading Mr. Hyde's letter. And he's looking at the handwriting. And then this, (laughs) how convenient. Uh, Dr. Jekyll his invitation comes up, and it also has his handwriting. So he has these two pieces of paper next to each other, and he's like, This is the same handwriting. Hmm. Uh, very weird. I don't know. Maybe, maybe Mr. Hyde can't write, and he needs Dr. Jekyll to do it for him. But the one weird thing...
0: Yes, some sort of forgery going on. Yeah,
1: some kind of forgery, or... Um, a foolery, I don't know. and uh but he notices that Mr. Hyde's handwriting is slightly tilted as if it's trying to conceal something. like it's something's weird. At home, Utterson, he's very disturbed by this letter. Um, he's like, there's there's obviously a connection here, but I can't figure it out. Like this is. There's got to be something more to this case that is, you know, uh, there's just something going on, and I don't know what's going on, and it's making me very freaked out. So he locks the letter in a safe, and he says that blood was running cold in his veins, and uh, that's where we're going to leave off for part one. Uh, Part two, uh, you'll just have to stay
0: tuned and see what happens very interesting start to this story
1: yeah you know my first read through like we said it it was tough um but when i actually you know because i have to make this make sense for the listeners which makes which means i have to make make this make sense to me Um, so like when the more I dug into the plot and I was like, oh gosh, like this is actually really interesting. It's very mysterious. Um,
0: so yeah, what are you thinking over there? I'm thinking that, um, I'm really excited to dig in deeper to this story, but I really enjoy a lot of aspects to this story so far where, like I said, the thing that you mentioned 10 times reading the outline is literally every person that meets this guy, they cannot place it. But for one, they can't describe what his face looks like to each other just because it's just unnatural or maybe he looks a little different every time people see him or something like that. They can't quite place it. But I just, my favorite part of the whole thing is just how everyone mentions the guy didn't even need to say a word and i didn't even need to hear that he was a child stomper and i just did not like him like he made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up
1: yeah yeah because that's just yeah you never hear about that like that's just uh an abhorrent crime it's just crazy and yeah i think it's It's really interesting, too, because no one really thinks of this as like um, a book from like an investigator uh, point of view, which this is like, I mean, right. It's this story that's being written by Mr. Utterson's point of view, and he's trying to piece together this puzzle. And, you know, he's this fantastic, um, logical man. But towards we're not even like we're halfway through the book and we can already see that this case there's just something about it that's disturbing him and i don't think this is ever something that has happened before where he's been pushed to his limits like he's a, he's this good guy maybe like a batman and he's just being like uh like the original batman comics were like in investigative uh comics and like he's trying to figure it out but he's being pushed to his limits um so it's very interesting and we'll see yeah we'll see how it turns out next week
0: there's a lot of yep there's a lot of great stories where um maybe the main character isn't just an average you know everyday guy but it might be told from a detective's point of view or a policeman's or something where they just bite off more than they can chew but they obviously don't know that going into it right away
1: Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, there's a lot of themes to this book, um, but unfortunately the themes have a huge part to do with um, how this story turns out. So we'll dive into that more in next week's episode and, uh, yeah, during the review session. So um, thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you guys are enjoying our little gothic literature um, journey here. And uh I know I am. Oh yeah, it's fun. It's a lot of a lot of fun because I I really think that modern horror has taken some major notes from Frankenstein, from Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, and books like Dracula, so which I think would be fun to cover too. So um yeah, so we'll we'll catch you guys next week and
0: uh have a great week. Yep. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Have a nice night. Bye bye. with that podcast you call me of course
1: you know I can always do nothing with (laughs) it